0: Evening to you all. How's it going? (laughs) Sorenies, huh? First few days are always a challenge. As are the rest of them. (laughs) So... So we need metta to do this. If you think of the Buddha's Eightfold Path, the second step on the Eightfold Path is wise intention, which is usually talked about in terms of renunciation. But it also includes the cultivation or the understanding of metta and compassion as being integral to the process of liberation. And you can really see, doing the sitting, doing the, the work that you're doing here, how important it is to have a at least provisional friendliness towards yourself and towards what you're experiencing. Okay? Because if that's completely absent, then when things arise in the mind that are difficult or painful, we can get into a real struggle with them or take them as evidence about something about us that usually isn't very complementary from the position of our ego. But if the mind is loyal to itself in some sort of basic way, is, has a foundation of kindness, then we believe in ourselves in a certain kind of way. And we just see what we're experiencing, which may be difficult, as just something that's difficult. And it calls forth compassion and kindness and metta. To be met. So, this quality of metta is pretty powerful stuff. And, you know, it's usually taught at these retreats, especially these longer retreats, uh, in conjunction with um, Vipassana practice. And I've explained some of the reasons for that. It can bring a ki- also can bring a kind of uh, softness of mind, a softening of the heart. It can bring a kind of brightness to the mind and happiness as well. It helps to relieve the dukkha, the suffering, the difficulty, the contraction of mind that sometimes happens when we come into contact with things that are unpleasant or unwanted. So it's powerful medicine. Now my understanding is that uh, for those who have been here six weeks, you've been doing metta at, at, on Tuesday uh, at this time, right? You've been working with metta every week? Yes? Okay. Okay. And so you've probably uh, gone through the progression of all the types of beings and categories. Is that right? Okay, great. And have you had a, a full talk on metta? No? Okay. You've had a full talk on compassion? Okay. So we'll definitely do a full talk on metta because it's important. And there's a lot that can be said about it and I'm not going to be able to say it all now and guide you Uh, and have time for questions at the end. So um, how many folks here are taking the instruction in metta for the first time? Can you stick them up? Come on, don't be shy. Yay, good for you. Oh, I'm so happy to be the first person to teach you this. There there was somebody who did this retreat uh, a while ago who who came back uh, for, the f- for the first half, and uh, I was involved with teaching uh, this last year as well, and so I asked, when I saw her name on the list with the part one teachers, I said, so how, how was the... And this was a woman who did just metta for her retreat, and it was the first time she had ever done metta, and they said, she said it's totally changed her life, it's totally transformed her life. So then I got really happy and I had a metta experience at the thought. So let's talk about this. What is it? M-E-T-T-A, metta, the Pali word that's usually translated as uh, loving kindness or friendliness. Goodwill is another uh, word that's used. It's a naturally occurring human quality. We have it naturally in our minds. The Dalai Lama often points to the fact that humans have a very long dependency period. Right? When you think about it, when we, when we first arrive, we're utterly incapable of caring for ourselves. You know, it really takes adults and usually more than one to take care of our, our basic needs and protect us and bring us forward into childhood and you know keep us on uh, the right path and help us develop until we become able to care for ourselves in late adolescence. So we all get a lot of caretaking as we grow up. And maybe it wasn't, you know, the best or ideal from our perspective, but someone or someone's combinations of beings have offered us love and care, or we never would have survived. And you all experience this quality within yourself kind of organically arising, usually most easily with people that you know closely and love. You know sometimes people recognize this quality most strongly, not with other human beings, but maybe with animals, you know, companion animals. Um, some people may feel this in relationship to the great chain of beings. For some people, they can recognize this quality most strongly uh, in some figure that they know and respect that may, they may never have met. You know, someone like Gandhi or Martin Luther King Jr. So we've all known this quality, we've all touched into it, and we've all touched into what are considered to be the opposites of metta, or the enemies of metta, which are aversion and hatred, anger, fear. Um, this is all part of our mind stream too. Right? And this is at least in part part of our animal inheritance, right? If you take a look at what our physical setup is, you know, we have this primitive brain stem that's kind of hyperactive and vigilant. And is always looking out for what can get us, right? And it it's easily triggered, you know, to either, you know, attack what's seen as dangerous or to run away from it. So we shouldn't take the presence of anger or aversion or fear personally in a way. But it's clear we don't want to cultivate it, right? You know, the Buddha talks about anger as uh, picking up a hot coal in order to throw it at somebody else. Right? And he really points to the fact that you know, to cultivate that particular quality of mind in self-defense is really self-defeating because it burns ourselves, right? It's unpleasant and painful. And when we act out of that kind of mind, we create a lot of chaos, and part of that chaos and injury comes back to ourselves as well. Now, one thing I want to touch on a little bit, but a lot more could be said about this at a talk, so I guess I'm I'm saying (laughs) I'll do a meta-talk, but... You know, sometimes we get the idea that if we don't have anger to protect us, we can't protect ourselves right like like somehow that's going to make us a victim or you know an easy rollover for anybody who chooses to exploit us or that we can't set boundaries or that kind of thing but that's not really really the case, and we may also think that well you know if you can't act. Uh, if, if there's anger going on you can't act you know you shouldn't act because there's anger present and that's not necessarily true either because there are many, many mind moments in any kind of action, you know and the action itself may be wise and necessary and yet there can still be moments of anger woven into it it's a question of, you know, what it's coming from at its most basic level and what the intention is because we can't necessarily act with totally purified mind streams because we don't have them, right? I mean, we have them intermittently, maybe, <laughs> on a good day, on a good sitting, right? But, you know, it's, it's a tapestry, right? It's a tapestry of dark and light in all of us. So the near uh, enemy of metta is attachment or desire, And again, to quote the Dalai Lama, well, you know, human beings usually, you know, at least with our closest relationship, there ships, there's attachment usually in it, right? So we love them and and care for them, and and we do uh, wish them well and want them to be happy, and we want them to stick around. Right? And we want them to continue to like us in the way we like to be liked. And this is human too. Yeah? And you can see when, when that attachment is uh, uh, not seen and it's very strong, it can really sometimes create behaviors that cause alienation, even on the part of the, the object of the mixed meta and uh, desire, right? Because it gets controlling and clinging and all the rest of that kind of thing in order to kind of continue the desired relationship of something like ownership. (laughs) Although we usually don't think of it that way, but sometimes that can get triggered, right? So the question is, how can we use our minds in a way that we can really strengthen this metta in its purest form, its most powerful form. How can we do that? And this is really the genius of the Buddhist system. Because, I don't know about you, but I was raised in a a particular Christian religion. And, you know, Christianity is uh, full of encouragement, for instance, you know, to love one another and towards agape and and you know it's very much a, a predominant strand in the religious view. But what I I never really got a clear answer from was, well, how? You know I got that you should, and I was on board with, yeah, that's good, yeah, you definitely should. But the question is how, right? <laughs> Talking about, you know, the the mixed texture that we have in the mind stream how do you how do you encourage the the wholesome the good how do you purify the metta and strengthen it and extend it so this practice of metta is how we do that it's one of the ways we do that so there's basically three strands to this practice so first of all, there is the generation of the intention to summon metta and to offer metta. Then there is a connection with the being to whom we are going to offer metta. So that's, that can be done with uh, bringing up an image of a person or maybe uh, a felt sense of the person. Uh, some sort of way where you energetically and kind of psychologically, psychically, you, however you want to say it, connect with that being and hold them as a focus. And then there's the offering of the, the metta phrases that represent this intention and extending these phrases towards towards the person. So those are the three strands of the practice. And the way the practice works is we start with wherever it's easiest in terms of who we're offering metta towards. You want to start with where it's easy. This is a basic premise of metta. So wherever it feels most organic. Now uh, generally, the way this is traditionally taught, you would start with yourself. There's an assumption in that, which is, you're okay with yourself, right? That, you know, there's not super strong, you know, hatred or, you know, active dislike going on. So, you know, it's common in Western, our Western psyches, for there to be a lot of self-criticism and self-hatred right? And the reasons for that, well, that's going to be, I guess that'll be part of the meta talk. But, um, so if, if that's the case for you, then don't start with yourself. Start someplace easier. You could start with perhaps what's called a benefactor. Someone who has, uh, as my niece says, you know, done you a solid, (laughs) you know. (laughs) Okay, so, you know, somebody who's done well by you, you know, could be somebody who's been a teacher, somebody who's, you know, uh, picked you up literally when you were a mess and helped you out, somebody for whom you feel gratitude and respect, you know, perhaps a, a parent or a grandparent or, you know, maybe somebody... Uh, that you really respect for, for instance, standing up for human rights or whatever, you know, somebody that you can form an image of and feel a felt connection, and uh, at least initially a somewhat uh, unambivalent desire for their well-being. And um, you could use a pet, you know, if that's an easy place for you. Um, wherever it's easy. So then the progression would be, you would start wherever it's easiest, you would work with that being for a while. When the meta is you know, pretty well established in the course of your, the practice, then you would move on to uh, kind of the next ring out. You know, that might be the benefactor at that point. And then you would work with them for a while, and when metta is established and it's flowing, then you could move out to a dear friend. And then you could move out to what's called a neutral person, meaning, you know, somebody you don't really know and don't well. Maybe you don't think much about them, you know, either pro or con. They're just kind of there. Uh, Then you would go to what's... uh, traditionally called the enemy, or an enemy, or, you know, it's kind of softened sometimes now as a difficult person, <laughs> uh, you know, but sometimes it actually is enemies. And then uh, beyond that, meta then gets extended uh, through working with a number of different categories of beings until it's global, until it includes all sentient beings in all dimensions. So you can see what's happening and how uh, this is developed. There's the progression of going from where it's easy, getting it going, and then seeing, okay, can, I, can this same attitude and intention be pushed out? Okay, it's going, it's going. Okay, how about here? How about here, right? So eventually we're moving in the direction of you know repeatedly summoning this quality of mind Bringing it to mind again and again, strengthening it as a tendency in the mind, this tendency towards goodwill and wishing for the well being of others. And then by the time we get to the more difficult people, we've got some momentum going, right? Kind of carries over, kind of carries over. So, this is how we as human beings can learn to do what we really need to do individually and as a species, which is to take that capacity we have for you know, caring and connection and broaden it. You know, Pascal talked a little bit last night about the village, you know, this is the village of us now, however we are, whoever we are, as we are here. You know, the world would be tremendously uh, different if it was us right it was just us everybody's part everybody's us it's all us so this is how we can learn to do it all right so you're ready to do the practice okay so settle in you want to make yourself comfortable so with metta you want to be comfortable. So with Vipassana, you, you might be encouraged to stay with discomfort. You know, when it's there and predominant, and work with it skillfully in metta. If it starts to get uncomfortable physically, yeah, feel free to ease your posture, right? We're starting, we're starting with ease of mind. So it can be useful to start with a reflection at the beginning so i'll i'll offer a reflection and then i'll i'll guide you all right allow yourself to bring to mind Uh, something that happened in your life for a period of time where there was difficulty and you were met with kindness or support from another. doesn't have to be a big thing. You know, even it might be your dog coming to, coming to you at the door all happy when you came home from a hard day at work. Or it might be, you know, a grandmother who cared for you when your parents couldn't. It could be anything. And remember how it felt to be met with kindness and warmth and appreciation and to feel responded to and cared for. And then knowing this, consider the value of this attitude of care and goodwill The way that friendliness and warmth can connect us and support a feeling of safety and community with others can remind us that we're not alone. And then allow the intention to develop this potential for metta to arise in the mind. Seeing its value. Allow yourself to Bring to mind an image of a being that you wish to offer this goodwill and friendliness. If it's easy access for you, pick yourself. If that's not accessible right now, pick someone else. Someone for whom you do have at least basic goodwill. You may not be feeling a lot of warm fuzzies right now, it's okay. The feeling of metta may or may not be present while you're doing metta practice. And it doesn't have to be present. You can invite it, if you wish, by putting your hand on your heart. But if it doesn't come, the practice still works. It's all about the three strands. The intention. the image or felt sense of the being to whom you're offering metta, and the recitation of the words that extend this wish towards them. So hold the image or felt sense. It might be clear, it might be fuzzy. Maybe you don't feel much, maybe you don't see much. It's okay. Just shoot it in their general direction. If it's not clear, it still is good. And begin to offer the metaphrases May I be happy? Or may you be happy? May I be safe? Or may you be safe? May I be healthy. Or may you be healthy. May I live with ease of well-being. Or may you live with ease of well-being. These are some of the classic ways of saying this, but you can use your own words. You can make them your own. You could say, may you be protected from harm. You could say, may you always have enough. You could say, may you be as well as you can be. could say, may you live in joy and awaken. So I'm just going to repeat the kind of classic formulation, but use your own if you wish. May I be happy. May I be safe. May I be healthy. May I live with ease of well-being. May I be happy. May I be safe. May I live with ease. You may experience the opposite of metta. Sometimes it can bring up anger or sadness. It's okay, it's a purification practice. Now, if you wish to, you can either stay with the person you're offering metta to, whether that's yourself or someone else, or you can bring to mind a benefactor, someone who's helped you or inspired you, That you respect and find it relatively easy to wish for their happiness. So remember that person. Bring them to mind in some way. Image, felt, sense. How Grandma's kitchen used to smell. Bring it up. May you be happy. May you be safe. May you be healthy. May you live with ease. May you be happy. May you be safe. May you be healthy and live with ease. Now imagine your metta has the power to radiate out from your heart in all directions to all sentient beings. Touching them all and creating the well-being that you wish. And with the intention to offer metta to all beings, can offer the metta phrases, may all beings be happy. May all beings be safe. May all beings be healthy. and live with ease of well-being. May we all be happy. May we all be safe. May we all be healthy. May we all know ease of well-being. May all beings be protected from harm. May peace prevail on Earth.